right, now let's open our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 40, 44, or 43, excuse me, 43. We'll begin reading in verse 11. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so, now do this. Take the best of the fruits and the land in your vessels, and carry down the man of present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again in your hand, peradventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother, and arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And the men took that present, and they took double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home, and slay, and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid, because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time, are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us, and fall upon us, and take us for bondmen and our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house, and said, O sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass, we came to the inn, that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Peace be to you, fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet and he gave their asses provender. And they made ready the present against Joseph, came at noon. For they heard that they, that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and says, Is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. 
And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with them. Thank God for his word. Let's bow together. Our Father, Lord, we've come into your presence this evening, seeking a blessing from your storehouses of grace. Father, I beg of you that you'd be pleased to to send your grace to us tonight through the preaching of your Son. Father, give us a refreshing, a refreshing from the water of life. Give us a, a refreshing by yet one more sight of our Savior by faith. Father, I pray that you would bless each heart here this evening, that you'd be merciful, that you'd be gracious, that you would speak to us as as Joseph spoke to Benjamin. God, be gracious to thee. Father, help us to worship. We've gathered together to worship, but we're in this weak flesh, these clay pots, minds that are so prone to wander. Father, give us a spirit of worship this evening. Let the name of Christ be exalted and let us be humbled at his feet before him. And what we pray for ourselves, Father, we pray for your people, wherever they might gather together tonight. Father, cause your word to run well. It seems like this world is so dark and so far gone Father, I beg of you that in this day you might be pleased to send a revival in the land, that you send out your word with power, reveal your glory in calling your people to Christ. Father, we also pray for the sick and afflicted of our number, those we know of and those that we don't. Father, we freely confess we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth, yet we are poor and needy in this flesh. Father, we pray a fulfillment of your promise to your people that you brought into the valley of trouble, trial, that you'd give them a fulfillment fulfillment of your promise that you'll never leave them or forsake them and that your grace will truly be sufficient. And Father, we pray you deliver as soon as it could be thy will that you'd deliver. Now, Father, all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now I've titled the message this evening, Grace Can't Be Bought. When I first started reading this passage, it just struck me how often these brothers had just their money and their present. They were just always ready to give their money and their, their present. And Joseph never took it. That's a picture. Grace cannot be bought. Now there are two ways of salvation that are pictured in our text tonight. Salvation by works. And there's salvation by grace. And salvation has to be all of one or the other. All of works or all of grace. That's what we just read a little bit ago in Romans chapter 11. And Lord willing, I want to point out the differences in these two ways of salvation. Salvation by works and salvation by grace. And I don't want you to think I'm pointing out the, the errors of salvation by works so that we can feel superior to people who believe in salvation by works. That's not my my goal at all. I want to point out the error in salvation by works so that we, so you and me, all of us, so we 
are not deceived into trusting salvation by our works. I want us to know, am I trying to bring my works to the Lord or am I trusting in his grace? That's what I want us to know. And then I want to talk about salvation by God's grace in such a way that our hearts will be melted and we'll run to Christ. Run to Christ seeking grace, salvation by his grace. Now, as Jacob and his sons are planning this trip back to Egypt to buy more food, they are such clear pictures of salvation by works. You remember the first time they went to buy corn in Egypt. They bought corn and Joseph commanded their money be put back in their in their sacks. That money represents man's works. Joseph did that as a picture that salvation is by free grace alone. Grace alone. Salvation cannot be bought by our works. Joseph wasn't going to take money from his brothers. And God's not going to take our works either. He won't, he won't accept them. But when they saw that money given back to them, that made Joseph, or Jacob's sons afraid. They thought a mistake had been made. And that's what man thinks. When, when by nature, when we hear salvation by grace, we think there's got to be a mistake. That preacher, he's misinterpreting scripture. There's got to be a mistake. I'm the one that owes a debt to God. Now, how can salvation be free? I mean, I've got to pay something. I just can't be free. That's what this flesh thinks, isn't it? And Jacob and his sons, they're dead set on paying their own way. Now, humanly speaking, that's good. That's good. Um, we, you know, somebody undercharges you or something, you know, we ought to be, I'm going to pay the fair price. Janet went to the Dollar General one night and, and they gave her something that cost a dollar or something, you know, in the bag that she didn't pay for. I mean, she worried herself sick about that, went back up and tried to pay for it and tried to give it back to me. I said, honey, you spent $5 on this $1 thing. You know? That's good. It's good that we be honest. But in our text, this is a picture of people who are dead set on earning salvation by their works. They're dead set on it. Look here at verse 11. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits of, in the land in your vessels. And carry down the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again in your hand. Preventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go unto the man. Now Jacob says, take double money and the money that you took the first time. Take triple money. Take what you, you know, for the, to pay for the corn we've already received. And then take a little present too. Give the man some snacks. Give him some perfumes and things that smell nice, you know. Now isn't that the nature of man before God? Man thinks, I'll give God double. I'll pay God double what I think I really owe. Now that just shows you the blindness of our fallen nature. We don't know God's holy and he's perfect and we don't know how sinful we are that somehow we think we can pay double, you know, for our sins. We have no idea what sin really is. We think, now I'm going to pay what I owe. Plus I'm going to give God a few presents. I'm going to live an honest life. I'm going to lead a, a moral life. I'm going to come to services. I'm going to act like a Christian, you know. That'll be a good present. Won't God be impressed with that? I'll give him that little present. I'll be impressed with that. 
And oh yeah, oh yeah, while I'm doing that, I'm going to ask God to be merciful too. See, Jacob has all this plans. It take double money plus the money that you brought the first time plus this present. And he says in verse six, in verse seven, where am I at? Verse 14. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. He throws all this in almost like an afterthought. Oh yeah, and God be merciful to you. But you know, if you're trusting salvation by works, that's what grace is, isn't it? That's what mercy is. It's an afterthought. Now I want us to look at what does salvation by works produce? These men are dead set on this. This is a picture. They're dead set on salvation by works. Well, what does that produce? Well, number one, God doesn't bring anybody into his house because of their works. Verse 15. And the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall dine with me at noon. Now the brothers, they had their money in their hand, didn't they? They had their present there and they had everything ready to give Joseph. But before Joseph ever saw the money, before he knew anything about this present that they brought in their hand, he commanded they all be brought to his house to eat lunch. The brothers didn't need their money, did they? All they needed was Benjamin. All they needed was Benjamin. And you know, when you and I first get some sense that we're in trouble with God because of our sin, first thing we all do is try to grab some of our works, try to grab some good things that we've done, hoping God will be pleased enough with us. He'll let us into his house. He'll let us into his family. You know, there was a reason that Joseph had his brother brought to his house. But it wasn't works, was it? It wasn't their present. It wasn't their money. And there's a reason God Almighty brings people into his house. He, there's a reason God adopts sinners to be part of his family. But that reason's never our works. Never. Now remember that. I'll come back to that in just a minute. First, God does not bring, bring anybody to his house because of their works. And second, salvation by works makes men afraid of God. Verse 17. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the men, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. See, Joseph brings his brothers to their house for a free lunch. You're in a free lunch with the ruler of the land. Here's going to be a good lunch. And they're afraid. They're afraid. And you know why they're afraid? They've got a guilty conscience. Look back at Genesis 42. This guilty conscience has been nagging these boys a long time. Genesis 42, this is the first time they came to Egypt. In verse 21, they said one to another, we're very, verily guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, spake I not unto you saying, do not sin against the child and you would not hear. Therefore behold, also his blood is required. These boys got a guilty conscience. And here's the thing about salvation by works. 
Salvation by our works will never quiet our guilty conscience. Because whether we're going to admit it or not, this is what we know. Our works are not enough to satisfy God. Look at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 9. The writer to the Hebrews here is talking about the all the things that were in the, the first tabernacle and all the, the day of atonement and all the other sacrifices and ceremonies that went on in that tabernacle. And in verse 9 he said, That tabernacle was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Those Jews went through all those ceremonies. Year after year after year after year, they had the Day of Atonement. Morning, noon, and evening, they had sacrifices. They had sacrifices for everything happening in their life. There's sacrifices. The priest, there was not a, a chair in that tabernacle because the priest was always working. His, his work was never done. That just went on endlessly. And they still had a guilty conscience. Because all of our motions of religion will never quiet our conscience. And, and here's the reason. All our motions of religion won't put away our sin. That's why we still got a guilty conscience. The only thing that will quiet the conscience is the blood of Christ. Look down at verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. The blood of Christ gives a believer a quiet conscience. You know why? Because the blood of Christ takes away sin. There's no reason for the conscience to be yelling. There's no reason for the conscience to be feeling guilty. The blood of Christ took care of that sin. Took it away. The blood of Christ, that's the only way a sinner will ever find peace with God. Peace of our heart and peace in our conscience. Because we're, and here's the reason, because we're trusting Christ, not our works. That's the only way our conscience will ever be quiet. But you know, people in salvation by works religion, boy, they're set on it, aren't they? They're set on it. And I have to give them this. They're diligent in it. I mean, they're serious about this thing. They're diligent in this thing. And you know why they're so diligent in it? They're seeking peace. They're seeking peace by what they do. Usually, they're very faithful to to, uh, to attend services. Uh, they do as many good works as they can. You know, they keep track of them. They do as many good works as they can. And you know why they're so diligent? They're motivated by fear. They're motivated by fear. They come to what they call a worship service, motivated by fear. They come because they're afraid God's going to get them if they don't. God's going to get them. But you know, that's what all of us, that's what man's nature, that's what we think about God. We never think about God being merciful to an undeserving sinner. You know why? Because we're not merciful. We think God is going to enjoy damning people. We think God's going to enjoy punishing people. You know why? Because that's what we'd enjoy if we were God. That's what we, we have just lowered God down to, to be somebody like us. And that's why we're afraid of him. Now, truth is, if we come to God by our works, we ought to be afraid. Shouldn't we? We ought to be afraid because the holy God will never accept our works and work at it as hard as you want. 
Salvation by works is never going to produce peace for your soul. Here's the third thing. Now you think about it. This is our nature now. There can't be anything in Scripture more plain than salvation by grace. That God is merciful to sinners. I mean, I just I couldn't even think. How many times is the word mercy, merciful, used in Scripture? Yet, I mean, it's all through, it's almost in every page. Yet salvation by works never leads a man to beg for mercy. Look back in our text. Genesis 43. Verse 19. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house. And said, Oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass, and we came to the end, that we opened our sack, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight, and we brought it again in our hand. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put the money in our sacks. And look down at verse 24. The man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet. He gave their asses provender and they made ready the present for when Joseph came at noon for they heard that they should eat bread there. These brothers feel so guilty. I mean, they're trying to explain to this steward now we we got this money. We don't know why the money came back in our sacks. You know, they're just they're offering everything in this world they can do. We're going to pay double or, you know, we'll pay interest. We're going to do all this stuff. And boy, when they get ready to meet Joseph here again, they got that money and that present in their hand. They're going to give it to him. They're going to make Joseph happy with them because of what they give him. I mean, they're just frantic about this. It's just over and over and over again. Boy, they're, they're trying to give this money away, trying to give this present away. Their money is not enough to quiet their guilty conscience. Yet they go full steam ahead anyway, hoping, well, this is the best plan of God. Best plan of God. It's hoping my good works outweigh my bad works. That's the best plan I got. I'm going full steam ahead for it. And never one time did it dawn on and ask for mercy. Never one time did it dawn on them to ask for forgiveness. Now I tell you, when God saves his people, he saves his people from their sin, from the penalty of sin. He paid it for them. He saves them from the power of sin. He delivers them from it. But you know when God saves his people, you know what else he saves them from? Himself. God saves his people from himself, from his justice upon them. And thirdly, God saves his people, he saves us from ourselves. He won't let us go our way. He won't let us have our way. He saves his people by his grace and does not give them their way. Joseph refused. To take his brother's money. I mean, he just never, he never even acted like he was going to take it. He never even acted like he was looking at it or wanted it. He didn't take their money. But we already read the end of the chapter. They sure ate well, didn't they? They enjoyed a feast and they had it for free. Joseph's favor couldn't be bought. That's like God. His grace is free. Or you can't have it. It's free. Well, now let's look at salvation by grace. You know, God brings sinners into his house by grace. Verse 16 said, when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home and slay and make ready. For these men shall dine with me at noon. Now the brothers, they had their money already. They had their present already to give to Joseph. 
Joseph didn't even regard it. He didn't look at it. He didn't talk about it. He didn't care about it. He didn't regard that present at all. But as soon as he saw Benjamin, he commanded, these men come to my house. They're going to eat with me today. They're going to have lunch with me. It was all because of grace, wasn't it? It was all because of Joseph's love for his brother Benjamin. That's why they were brought to that house. Now, Almighty God, we've just looked at this. He, he's never going to regard our works. I mean, he's not even going to regard them. He's not going to look at them at all. He didn't care about them. If God brings us to his house to be part of his family, to have a banquet of his grace, I tell you what, it's going to be all for Christ's sake. All of grace. All for Christ's sake. If the Father is ever merciful to you and me, it's because he loves his son. And he loves us in him. That's the only reason. And the basis for God's grace is found in a word that Joseph uses here. He says, slay and make ready. Now I know, if they're going to eat meat for lunch, an animal's got to be slain. I understand, you know, what that, what's going on there. But this means a whole lot more than that. This is a picture. It's a picture of how God can be gracious to sinners. Do you know why God, who never overlooks sin, who never ignores sin, who punishes every sin, do you know why God is gracious to sinners? Because Christ was slain. The Lamb of God was slain as a sacrifice for sin. God is gracious to sinners. And he gives them what they do not deserve. You know why? Because he gave Christ our substitute, the justice that our sin deserves. Christ died as the sinner's substitute to satisfy the Father, to satisfy his justice, to satisfy his holiness. Now that sin's gone, the blood of Christ completely removed the sin of his people. Now that sin is gone, God can be nothing but gracious to his people because there's no sin left to punish. See, man's version of grace you know, people in religion, they talk about grace, but they don't mean grace like what Scripture means. Man's version of grace has God ignoring sin, has God accepting the best that we can do. But that's not grace. That's not God's grace. See, here's the thing man has never been able to figure out. And all the different religions that men have come up with, the ways to try to earn their way to God. Here's one thing man in his fallen darkened mind can never come up with how can God be just and gracious at the same time how can he do that how can God be holy and still be just and still be merciful to sinners how's that possible man can never find the answer to that question but God in his wisdom provided the way it's through the death of Christ the death of Christ satisfies the Father's justice. It satisfies God's holiness. So now God can be gracious to sinners. Salvation is in God's grace. And the basis for that grace is Christ was slain. God's grace satisfies justice so that it's right for God to be gracious to his people. Now, I'm telling you, I can't even tell you how much I love that. God made it right for him to be merciful to sinners like you and me. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It just makes my hair stand on end. 
God brings sinners in his house by grace. Secondly, here's something else grace does. Grace sends us a preacher to tell us fear not. In verse 23, the, the brothers have been trying to just fall all over themselves, offering all this money and all this present, all this stuff. And their servant, he, hold on boys. He says, peace be to you. Fear not. Your God and the God of your father have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then he brought out Simeon unto them. Now these brothers are so afraid. I mean, they're just shaking in their boots. And Joseph's servant says, don't be afraid. Fear not. I had your money. I'm the one to put your money back in your sacks because that's what Joseph told me to do. You know, when God is ready to reveal his saving grace to the heart of a sinner, this is what he does. He sends him a preacher. That's what he does. He sends him a preacher. Somebody's got to come and tell us who God is and how God saves sinners. Somebody's got to come and tell us the good news. And God's preacher comes with a message. If he's God's preacher, he comes with a message of grace. Grace. I know your works aren't enough, but fear not. God's grace is enough. I know your sin is, is heinous. I know what your sin deserves, but fear not. The blood of Christ atones for, for sin. The, the phrase, fear not, is used 63 times in the word of God. Fear not. That's our message. Fear not. Our sin has offended the holy God. Our sin has given us a debt to God's justice we could never pay. I mean, you think about us suffering in eternity in hell. Won't atone for one sin. Won't pay for one sin. Then if I'm a sinner, why should I not be afraid? It's because salvation is by grace. It's because of God's grace. Fear not because of God's grace. Now this I can promise you. If you're one of the Lord's own, God has commanded to save you by his grace. That's his commandment. The father's already slaughtered his son to pay for your sin. The father's not mad anymore. The blood of Christ put away your sin, took away every reason that God would be angry with you. The blood of Christ took that sin away. You don't have to fear God's justice coming after you. God's justice is satisfied when your substitute was slain. The debt's been paid. God took away every reason for you to fear him when he sacrificed his son for your sin. Now come to God. Come to Christ. Now come reverently. Now we're still, I mean, this is still God we're talking about here. Come reverently. But come without fear. Come without fear that God's going to crush you. Come without fear that God's going to damn you. You can come without fear as long as you're pleading the blood of Christ, not your works. If you're pleading Christ, come without fear. If God will enable you to do that, you'll be accepted. You will be. And that's what happened for these brothers. And here's the third thing. We're going to find this out. And because we live in, in this flesh that is just absolutely married to this thing of salvation by our works, we have to learn this over and over and over and over. Salvation is by pure grace. Verse 26, And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare. 
They said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spake, is he yet alive? And they answered, thy servant, our father's in good health. He's yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. Now the first words that Joseph said to Benjamin in how many years? This time he saw him. The first thing he said to Benjamin was what? God be gracious to thee, my son. Benjamin hadn't done anything to deserve that. He didn't deserve that. Why would Joseph say that to him? It's because of who his father and mother were. Benjamin received grace because he had a relationship with somebody else. And that's the life story of every believer. God is merciful to us. God's gracious to us. God blesses us because we have a relationship with somebody else. The Lord Jesus Christ. Sinners receive grace not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is and what Christ has done for his people. God is gracious to a people who have a relationship with his son. And here's the relationship. We're in him. We're part of his body. We're in him. So the father is gracious to us. Now the father purposed this grace, this salvation by grace, way back there, way back there in eternity, before anything was ever created. Now in the fullness of time, when it finally comes time, God reveals that grace to the hearts of his people. You know what that is? All that is, is God carrying out his eternal purpose. What he promised he would do before he created anything. And that's pictured here. What, two, three, four times just in this little text that we've read tonight? How many times did the brothers bow their faces to the, to the ground? How many times did they bow and make obeisance to, to Joseph? Just like those dreams 20 some odd years ago. Joseph's dreams are coming true. This is God's eternal purpose being carried out. You don't have to worry that you're going to slip, slip up and slip through the cracks and sin too much, and God's going to change his mind. No, sir. God's going to save his people because it's his eternal purpose to do it by his grace. He's going to reveal his grace to them. And when you finally hear the gospel, and I'm not talking about just hearing it with these ears. I'm not even talking about understanding it in your head. I really can hardly remember a time I consciously didn't understand what the gospel said. I could spit it back out to you. I, I didn't know Christ, but I knew what it said. But when you finally hear, when you finally hear in the heart, you're going to be overwhelmed with God's grace. You're, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to say with the queen of Sheba, the half hadn't been told. I've been here preaching all my life and the half hadn't been told. That's grace. It's been promised from eternity. And here's another thing. I love this. I love this. This, this is not just a, I know it's forensic, the right word, just a technical, forensic, clean surgical room kind of thing. Grace comes from a heart of God's compassion. Verse 30. 
And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. After everything that Joseph's brothers did to him, I mean, you think of all the things, they, how they treated him, they wouldn't talk to him, they hated him so much, they, they threw him in a pit, they planned to kill him, they sold him into slavery, they assumed he was dead. This brother, you know, they say he is not, they assume he's, he's got to be dead by now. After everything they did to him, his heart was still moved with compassion for them. Now, that's not normal. <laughs> I mean, that is just not normal human behavior. But I'll tell you why Joseph did that. It's a picture of God's heart for his people. I try to comprehend this. After all of our sin, after all of our rebellion against God, I mean, you just, I can't even find the words to talk about how horrible our sin and rebellion is against God. God's heart is still moved with compassion for sinners. When his people hurt, he feels it. He hurts. I mean, you think of that. The Lord Jesus was moved with compassion. Remember when he saw that hungry, he'd been teaching them and healing folks and he saw that hungry multitude. He said, they're, they're sheep not having a shepherd. He said, we better give him something to eat. You know why he did that? His heart was moved with compassion. That's what scripture says. Even after treating God's son so badly, even after shaking our fists in the face of God Almighty, say, I'll not have this man to reign over me. I'm, I'm, I'm one of these ones just hell bent and I have my works now. I'm going to be saved by my works. I'm going to contribute my works. After all, insulting God's son, refusing to believe on God's son, God's heart is still moved with compassion for sinners. Now, how do I know God loves sinners. How do I know I'm not just telling you a, a sappy bedtime story? How do I know God loves sinners? Look at 1 John chapter 4. It's because he tells us. This is what the beloved apostle John learned. Here's why God loves sinners. It's because he sacrificed. Here's how we know God loves sinners. He sacrificed his son. 1 John 4 verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And here's how he showed his love. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, if God Almighty loves you enough to sacrifice his son, in your place to put away your sin I'm telling you he loves you that's love isn't it and he's never going to let anything make him stop loving you he's never going to let anything stop him from applying what Christ earned for you to your heart if God loves you that much he'll never let you go never alright here's the fifth thing look back in our text God's grace Give sinners a feast freely. Verse 32 of Genesis 43. 
Verse 31, he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with them by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. For that's an abomination unto the Egyptians. That's like reading today's newspaper, isn't it? You wonder where that started? Well, it started at least way back there when Joseph was in, was in Egypt. This thing's been going on forever. And they sat before him. The firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. They sat him in order of their ages. And the men marveled one another. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with them. Now, first thing Joseph did when they sat down to eat, he put everything in order. He sat the oldest to the youngest. When God's gracious to his people, you know, that's what he does. This thing not haphazard. He puts everything in order first. It's like I said a minute ago, he makes it right for him to be gracious to his people. He makes it right for him to be merciful to his people. He sets everything in order. And then they had their three tables there. You know, there's food on every table. But now Joseph, he's the king. I mean, this, he's, he's, his table has is, got more, more food, better food and stuff. And Joseph sent messes of food from his plates of food, from his table to, to their table. And they did that. That was a sign of honor from the king. If the king would send you a plate from his table, plate of food from his table, he's showing you honor from him. Now he sent that to all the brothers. But Benjamin's mess is five times bigger than the rest of them. Now what does that mean? Well, I read a lot about that. It could mean be a picture of how God blesses the world. And he blesses his people in the world. God blesses people in the world, doesn't he? Intelligence, life, health. He blesses them, you know, to start businesses and make their businesses successful so they can give his people a job. You know, he blesses the whole world. But oh, he blesses his people, doesn't he? Not just materially, spiritually. He blesses his people infinitely more. This could be a picture how the Lord Give some of his people different talents than others. So they have different ways to, different ways to serve him. Could mean a lot of different things. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know that it matters all that much. But here's what I know. Benjamin is a type and picture of the believer. And you know why Benjamin was blessed? Why was he blessed with five times as much? His distinguishing grace, wasn't it? Joseph singled him out. Distinguishing grace. If God Almighty's chosen you, He's revealed Himself to you, He's given you faith in His Son, He's singled you out. He's, it's distinguishing grace that He gave to you. He didn't give somebody else, but He gave it to you. It's distinguishing grace. And that grace was a blessing, wasn't it? I mean, what a feast these brothers had. I just wonder when, when they were back home, I mean, you know, they kept talking about this with their father, kept talking about it, kept talking about it, kept talking about it. this famine has been going on for years. By the time they left Jacob, they had to be running real low on food. Maybe they were rationing it or something, make sure it lasts longer, right? Here they come to Joseph's table. They've seen more food than they've seen in two years. A feast. I tell you what, you come to Christ. And you'll find a feast. I mean a feast. A feast of forgiveness. 
a feast of life, a feast of, of mercy, a feast of grace, a, a feast of union with Christ, a feast of his presence in your heart. If you've ever been in a time of trial, I mean a trial, and you're being crushed by it. And you know, the, the flesh, it hurts. It's, it's, it, it's hard to think about anything else. And the Lord gives you a sense of His presence. It's a feast, isn't it? It's a feast in a time of famine. And I can't explain any better than that. But if you've ever experienced, you know what I'm talking about. It's a feast, isn't it? It's a feast. A feast of His grace. Oh God, let us partake of it. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank You for Your Word. How we thank You for a clear declaration that Your salvation is by grace. That You bless Your people by Your grace. Not because we deserve it, but by Your grace. Father, I pray you'd cause our hearts to be thrilled at the thought of it. To be thrilled and be able to rest in Christ. That salvation is by your grace and grace alone. Father, how we thank you. And Father, I beg of you that you'd apply your word to each heart here. Father, enable us to leave here tonight finding our rest in Christ alone. Father, it's in his name. And for his glory, I know I ask a great blessing that you, that you bless us, that you be gracious to us. That's a great blessing. But Father, would you do it so Christ our Savior would get all the glory for it? It's in his name. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right. Sean, come lead us in our singing. If